Today, from our news team, a Microsoft hack spurs a response from the government, a major streaming service loses a billion dollars, and people really want to have sex with a cartoon rabbit. This is the Culture Jack News Desk. This is the Culture Jack News Desk, uh, your source for stolen information, hot takes, and your weekly news. I'm your host, Archimedes Abigail. Now, before we get into the news, uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, this is one of five regularly scheduled shows that we host every week. Starting your week off on the right foot, we have Monday Madness with Anthony. On Thursday, we'll meet back here for the Culture Jack News Desk. On Friday, Dustin hosts the Friday show. And then tune in Saturday for On Today's Episode. And then round out your weekend with the Weekend Wire on Sunday. With all that being said, let's take a look at the news. In movie news, Avatar looks to reclaim its highest grossing movie spot, to take it back from Avengers Endgame with a China re-release. Now, if you do not recall, there is only a $10 million difference between these two movies, and Endgame also earned that highest grossing spot with a re-release of its own. Uh, here's what I was talking about with that cartoon rabbit, if you were curious. So if you haven't heard, there's been quite a hubbub, quite a controversy on the internet because of a redesign of the Lola Bunny character from the movie Space Jam. Now, um, <laughs> this move, uh, it, finally, it, it, it got to, it reached such a fever pitch that the director to Space Jam 2 had to weigh in. And so this is from an article from Sport Bible. Uh, but will LeBron's de debut appearance has stolen much of the headlines during the film's production? It seems the latest interest and buzz around the movie is centered around an entirely different character. It's understood Lola Bunny has had her iconic style updated and refreshed by the movie's director, Malcolm D. Lee. Uh, according to Lee, who is the cousin of legendary Spike Lee, he was taken off guard by Lola's very sexualized image from the first movie back in 1996. So by reworking Lola, uh, Lee hopes to paint the character as a strong role model for younger female viewers. The controversial skunk uh, Pepe Le Pew will also not appear in up any upcoming Warner uh, Bros. projects. This news comes after the Pepe Le Pew's only scene in Space Jam, A New Legacy, was cut by director Malcolm Lee, who took over the project from the previous director, Terrence Nance. First introduced in the Looney Tunes in 1945, Pepe Le Pew is a French striped skunk who is incessantly on the pursuit of romance, although his intolerable odor and aggressive behavior constantly repels others. So, a couple characters that have been changed or will not appear... Now, there is also some controversy uh, around uh, Speedy Gonzalez as a character in Space Jam 2, uh, who is voiced by Gabriel Iglesias, you know, the guy who does the fluffy character on the comedy circuit. And so it's interesting because a lot of these older characters that maybe represent a stereotype that is not, I guess, representative of a, an entire group of people are being looked at and by the director. And so it's funny to me also that, <laughs> that because one of the main design changes with Lola Bunny is they made her breasts smaller. 
and she's not wearing a uh, low cut and short cut midriff exposing top and her shorts are of a little bit more appropriate length. And so the people that are upset are people like myself. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not upset, but like myself who may have in the past had a, a movie in my youth make me think think very strange thoughts about a rabbit. Like, why why was that the director's choice back then? Why was that the designer of the character's choice to make this rabbit so terribly seductive? I don't know. But if you get nothing else out of this news story, know that uh, I was attracted to a cartoon bunny when I was a child. I, I listened to these guys, uh, The Weekend Planet, oh, The Weekly Planet, and they go back and forth about who was attracted to the female fox in the Robin Hood Disney movie as well. Uh, so let's see. There is a scene that was removed uh, with Pepe Le Pew. The scene in question was reportedly a spoof of the 1942 classic Casablanca, which features Pepe in the role of a bartender. The cartoon skunk begins by flirting with a woman pay played by Jane the Virgin actress Grish Santo. But Pepe's advances soon become threatening, including him kissing her on the arm without consent, leading to the woman slapping Pepe Le Pew. Later on, Pepe uh, admits that Penelope Pussycat has filed a restraining order against him, to which LeBron James reprimands him about touching others without their consent. Uh, Santo publicly expressed her disappointment with the scene being cut, believed uh, that it had the power to teach young viewers that Pepe's behavior is unacceptable. So some Looney Tunes controversy. Who would have thought? It's 2021 and everyone is upset about everything. So uh, in other news, Black Widow, uh, Disney confirms the Marvel Studios movie remains on track for a May 7th theatrical release. Press X to doubt, I think. During the Walt Disney Company's 2021 annual meeting of shareholders, Disney, uh, Disney CEO Bob Chappick confirmed plans for the Marvel Studios hit um, to hit that date. Next up is Marvel's highly anticipated spy thriller, Black Widow, featuring an all-star cast that includes Oscar nominee Scarlett Johansson, currently set for release in theaters on May 7th. I know Marvel fans have been looking forward to that film for a long time, and I promise you, it's well worth the wait. It's absolutely fantastic. That's Bob Chappick. I am not as optimistic that it's going to hit that date as well. We covered last week, we talked about the UK theaters not reopening anytime soon. And because of that, I think that they are going to either push Black Widow out again, which is probably the most likely thing that they're going to do, or will this be the straw that finally broke the camel's back and we will get to see Scarlett Johansson and Black Widow on Disney+. Plus? I hope that's the case. The Powerpuff Girls, we talked about it before, but they have found their cast members. The Powerpuff Girls are set to return in live action form in the CW's upcoming pilot, and the three leads have now been announced. Via deadline, Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Dove Cameron uh, from Descendants, and Yana Peralt from Jagged Little Phil are set to play Blossom, Bubbles, and Buttercup, respectfully. Or... <laughs> I'm sure they'll do a very respectful rendition of the three characters, but respectively. So Chloe Bennett will be Blossom. That makes sense. Uh, Dove Cameron, I'm not familiar with her work, will be Bubbles. And Buttercup will be played by Yana Peralt. 
the official synopsis is any indication this show will actually serve as more of a sequel to the original Cartoon Network animated series from creator Greg McCracken. Uh, the synopsis goes, the Powerpuff Girls follow the trio Blossom, Bubbles, and Buttercup, who used to be America's pint-sized superheroes. Now, they're disillusioned 20-somethings who resent having lost their childhood to crime-fighting. Will they agree to reunite now that the world needs them more than ever? Uh, Peacock streaming service lost $914 million dollars in 2020, uh, according to a new filing, NBC Universal streaming service Peacock lost that amount in 2020, but the losses were expected by a company. It's launched in 2020. Uh, it was designed to compete with streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, and others, and was driven by the phenomenon known as cord cutting, where audiences are increasingly moving away from terrestrial TV services to digital offerings. My parents, in fact, just got uh, they just cut the cable. They just they called Dish Network and they said, hey, we no longer need your services. We are all Internet people. Now, Peacock's first year in operation was a success in terms of numbers, with the service hitting 33 million signups in 2020. This pales in comparison, however, to Netflix's 200 million plus subscribers and even Disney Plus's 100 million subscriber mark that it passed this week. So a couple big takeaways uh, from me here is I didn't realize that Netflix had gotten 200 million. I always assumed that it was 200, uh, 200 million or more. I thought it would be probably close to the three or 400 million mark, but apparently just 200 million. So Disney Plus has, I, I guess, caught up, not, not caught up because they're not at 200 million yet, but they have made such an incredible pace in what is it, the two, three years that they've been offering their service in comparison to however long Netflix's service has been going on the last decade or more. I think it's a testament to what kind of quality people know that they're going to get with Disney+. Plus. The news, while seemingly shocking, given the number being so close to $1 billion, is actually expected. Most streaming services don't make a profit in their first few years, and that's especially relevant for Peacock. NBC Universal had previously told investors it would be spending $2 billion on Peacock in 2020 and 2021, according to the report. And the company doesn't expect to break even on Peacock until 2025. Evil Dead 4 starts filming this year, uh, so says producer Bruce Campbell. Uh, it's set to be directed by Lee Cronin, who directed the Lee, the, the Lee in the ground, the hole in the ground, who was handpicked by Sam Raimi, who, if you recall, directed the original Evil Dead franchise. Uh, Campbell has also spoken about the direction the film aims to go, stating that Evil Dead Rise will star a heroine whose chief aim is to save her family during a deadite invasion. Campbell emphasized the importance of placing everyday people in extraordinary circumstances and the most powerful horror comes from the fact that the situation is very much out of their control. Ash vs. the Evil Dead. I watched the first two seasons of it. There's a third season that I need to watch yet, but that one was amazing. Bruce Campbell's humor in that is very, very funny. And though I am sad that we will not be seeing Bruce Campbell reprise his role as Ash, I'm hoping that they maintain that kind of comedic integrity that they did through Ash vs. the Evil Dead series. And... I'm not much of a horror buff, so I apologize. I haven't seen the original 
Evil Dead trilogy. Next up in the news, a Helsing live-action anime adaptation will be coming soon uh, to Netflix, I believe is what Anthony said on his uh, show, The Weekend Wire. But I wanted to touch on it a little bit more because I am a big fan of this anime. So, in March 2021, uh, this month, it was announced that Amazon Studios is developing a live-action film ad- adaptation of Helsing with scripts by Derek Kolstad. It will be produced by himself, Automatic's Brian Cavanaugh-Jones and Fred Berger, Ranger 7 Films' Mike Callaghan and uh, Ruben Leiber, and Soluble Fish Productions' Jason Lust. Now, the thing about Helsing as an anime is it was so mind bending. The effects in it were so heavy. Basically you've got this Helsing organization and their job is to stamp out evil and darkness and vampires. They have all kinds of weapons in order to do that. Of course, being based on the legacy of the great Helsing vampire hunter himself, but the, the weapon, the biggest weapon that they have at their behest, the, the one, their trump card, their ace up the sleeve is Alucard, which, of course, is Dracula spelled backwards. They have the most powerful vampire under contract to the organization, to the great, great, great granddaughter of Helsing himself. And when they release him, he turns into shadowy darkness that becomes a, a black fog that rolls across his enemies and he becomes just fangs and eyeballs and just scary nightmare fuels. It, these these many headed, many eyed dogs that attack his enemies and he morphs in and out of them. That is what I'm excited to see being done in live action. If they put the appropriate budget behind it and they could probably even do most of that work with atmosphere and then a few CG eyes and teeth and claws here and there. But I think it has the prospect of being an amazing movie if they do not, they don't just kind of phone it in and take the lazy way out because they need to have, they need to have good CG. But here I am repeating myself and that is all I have for movie news today. In gaming news, Games with loot boxes are set to make $20 billion over the next five years. As reported by GamesIndustry.biz, a study by Juniper Research found that loot boxes will produce $20.3 billion by 2025. Of that amount, $320 million will come from skin wagering, a $100 million increase from 2020. An estimated $15 million was generated in 2020 by loot boxes with an average 5% increase per year. However, Juniper Research states that income will slow when consumers become fatigued from the number of games with loot boxes. They also say that litigation against the practice will impact their use in the future. Speaking of... Uh, loot box litigation impacting the loot box industry. All games featuring loot boxes may soon carry an 18 plus rating in Germany. Uh, the, deba- the debate over what exactly loot boxes are and to what extent they should be present in video games rages on around the world. The latest development in Germany could result in any games featuring the mechanic to carry an 18 plus rating by law, reports Der Spiegel. The Bundestag has passed a reform of the country's Youth Protection Act, which includes a request to bring in stricter rules surrounding loot boxes. The next step needed for the reform to become law is for it to be approved by Germany's federal council. If that happens, 
it could become law within weeks. That could result in games like FIFA 21, which currently has a rating of 3 and up in Germany, getting slapped with an 18-plus rating instead. The specific line referencing the loot box issue in the proposed reform reads, Risks from Gambling-Like Mechanisms. FIFA has been at the center of loot box row in most countries thanks to its ultimate team mode since players can buy FUT packs for real-world money with the hope that those packs will contain a highly rated player that will improve their team. Ultimate Team has even been labeled pay-to-win by some. Well, it most definitely is pay-to-win. Now, this kind of legislation is legislation that I am all for and that this is the only kind of video game legislation that I think should be taking place. Because, well, I, I uh, let me take that back. This legislation needs to happen if the games themselves, the gaming industry, is not willing to regulate themselves. As you may recall, the ESRB, the game's rating system, was built as a reaction to potential legislation and litigation on games and their content. And so they made the ESRB to get out in front of it so that they themselves could regulate what was going on and say, yes, this game is for mature audiences. This game is okay for teenagers. This game is okay for the youth. They need to get out in front of this thing and legislate it before a governing body or governing bodies does so themselves, which it looks like in Germany is already happening. In other gaming news, Xbox and Bethesda presentation reportedly coming March 11th. That's today regarding the future of the Xbox brand. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, this showcase may have already come out. So I apologize that I don't have anything to report on it yet. However, stay tuned for the Weekend Wire or next week on the News Desk and we'll surely get you caught up. Microsoft, if you remember, bought ZeniMax, the parent company to Bethesda, for $7.5 billion at the end of last year. I don't know if they were just bored, maybe doing a little quarantine shopping, maybe a little retail therapy. Uh, in another recent announcement, Xbox said that some Bethesda games would be Xbox and PC exclusive, which is something that we... Uh, did not go unexpected from here us here at Culture Jack. Uh, in other gaming news, Fortnite Season 5 Zero Crisis event details and Chapter 6 start date revealed. So that's going to be on March 16th. Now, unlike other chapter events where they would start a server and everyone would try and get into the server to watch the event play out in real time as their characters... This one is going to be a solo mission that you can boot up in kind of a campaign style for those Fortnite players. Now, I don't know how many of listeners of Culture Jack show are also Fortnite players, but if you are, you will be um, you'll be able to get in because I know there were a couple of events that my children tried to get into, but the servers filled up so quick. And so they were unable to participate in the game-changing dynamics of the season change within Fortnite. So this one, no matter how many people are in it, it will be a solo solo campaign at the beginning of uh, Season 5, Chapter 6. And that's it for gaming news. In other tech news, security startup Verkata Hack exposes 150,000 security cameras in Tesla factories, jails, and more. Verkata, a Silicon uh, Valley security startup that provides a cloud-based security system, 
has suffered a major security breach. Hackers gained access to over 150,000 of the company's cameras, including cameras in Tesla factories, warehouses, Cloudflare offices, Equinox gyms, hospitals, jails, schools, police stations, and Verkata's own offices. This is from a report from Bloomberg. According to Tilly Kotman, one of the members of the International Hacker Collective that breached the system, the hack was meant to show how commonplace the company's security cameras are and how easily they're able to be hacked. In addition to the live feeds, the group also claimed to have had access to the full video archive of Verkata's customers. In a statement to Bloomberg, a Verkata representative commented, we have disabled all internal administrator accounts to prevent any unauthorized access. Our internal security team and external security firm are investigating the scale and scope of this potential issue. Following Bloomberg's request to Verkata, the group lost access to both the company's live feeds and archives. The hack was apparently relatively simple. The group managed to gain super admin level access to Verkata's system using a username and password they found publicly on the internet. From there, they were able to access the entire company's networks, including root access to the cameras themselves, which in turn allowed the group to access the internal networks of some of Verkata's customers. Verkata prides itself on offering internet-connected security cameras, promising Silicon Valley a software-first approach uh, to make security as seamless and modern as the organizations we protect. The cloud-connected cameras include a slick web-based interface and companies to monitor their feeds and offer optional facial recognition software as well. In a PSA, uh, T-Mobile will start uh, sharing customer info with advertisers unless you opt out. I believe this was from The Verge. Uh, T-Mobile will soon put a new privacy policy into effect that will allow it to share certain kinds of customer information with third-party advisors. Uh, starting on April 26, 2021, all customers will be automatically opted into the new program as, as spotted, of course, by the Wall Street Journal. I guess it was from Wall Street. Uh, customers who don't want to participate will need to manually opt out using, the out, using their account's privacy tools. T-Mobile's new policy is no different than AT&T's or Verizon's. It's an about-face for the former Sprint customers. However, T-Mobile acknowledges it in an announcement of the policy change that Sprint offered a similar opt-in service rather than an opt-out one. So we're getting more connected. Privacy is becoming more and more a thing of the past unless you live out in a cabin in the woods, in which case I don't know how you'd be hearing this particular podcast right now, but you should expect some amount of your privacy to not be there if we live in a connected world. Well, our governments are still ruled by money. Well, uh, corporations still own Congress people and politicians. We should not expect them to bite the hand that feeds and go against those very same corporations that are now wanting our privacy to be uh, taken advantage of to, for, for corporate profit and interests. Uh, and then finally, in our last bit of tech news, Microsoft was warned months ago. Now the Hafnium hack has grown to gigantic proportions. And this is an article I read on The Verge, and uh, I copied down a bunch of it because I wasn't sure that I would be able to get all of the appropriate details. On Friday, cybersecurity journalists Brian Krebs and Andy Greenberg reported that as many as 30,000 organizations had been compromised in an unprecedented email server hack believed to have originated from a state-sponsored Chinese hacking group known as Hafnium. Over the weekend, that estimate has doubled to 60,000 Microsoft Exchange server customers hacked around the world, with the European Banking Authority 
now admitting that it is one of the victims. And it looks like Microsoft may have taken a little too long to realize the severity and patch it. Krebs has now put together a basic timeline of the massive exchange server hack and says Microsoft has confirmed it was made aware of the vulnerabilities in early January. That's nearly two months before Microsoft issued its first set of patches alongside a blog post that didn't explain the scope or the scale of the attack. Originally, it was even planning to wait for one of its standard patch Tuesdays, but relented and pushed out the patch early. Now, MIT Technology Review reports Hafnium may not be the only threat, citing a cybersecurity analyst who claims there appear to be at least five hacking groups actively exploiting the exchange server flaws as of Saturday. Uh, government officials are reportedly scrambling to do something with one state official telling CyberScoop that it's a big fucking deal. More diplomatically, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki started or called it an active threat, drawing more attention to the emergency directive that the Department of Homeland Security Cybersecurity Agency sent out on March 3rd. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan has warned about it as well, as has former Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Director Christopher Krebs and the White House National Security Council. Uh, we are undertaking a whole-of-government response to assess and address the impact, reads part of an email from a White House official, according to Bloomberg. Microsoft declined to comment about the timing of its patches and disclosures, pointing us to a previous statement instead that said, We are working closely with the CISA, other government agencies, and security companies to ensure we are providing the best possible guidance and mitigation for our customers. The best protection is to apply updates as soon as possible across all impacted systems. We continue to help customers by providing additional investigation and mitigation guidance. Impacted customers should contact our support teams for additional help and resources. And that's it for Tech News. Now I want to move into what I've been playing and what I've been watching. Uh, I've been playing a little game on the Xbox called Boomerang Foo, which it puts you in the body. Your avatar is one of several different tasty little snacks. Uh, there's an avocado, there is a sushi, there's a jittery little coffee. I myself have been playing as the eggplant character because of course I am. And you you have boomerangs and you try and chop the other fruit in half. It's kind of a top-down uh, game where you throw these boomerangs or you can just melee attack with the boomerangs and that's fine as well as long as you can get close enough to chop your opponent down. So you, <laughs> you get these powers as well and one of them will allow you to teleport to your boomerang. So you can throw your boomerang and then if you, you strike the A button you can then teleport to where your boomerang is at that moment. It's a teleportation jutsu. And then you can pull these off by throwing your boomerang, teleporting, throwing again, teleporting, throwing again. So it allows you to reposition very easily on your opponents. This is a, I believe, up to four player game where you compete to get the most kills within, well, or compete to get like 20 kills or something. It's very, very fun. Uh, I wrote down on my notes here that I've been playing Call of Duty Warzone. However, I cannot remember my Activision password. And when I go to reset it, it says, all right, your stuff's been reset. But it gives me no indication or no other instruction on how to actually get in to my new password and my new account or my old account. 
I just got done watching uh, Raya and the Last Dragon. It's very, very good. Some of the character interactions seem a little bit shallow, I guess I could say. I, if this is my official review of Raya and the Last Dragon, it was amazing. Go watch it. It was very good. But basically, there is a country. This is not, this is not spoilers. This is just kind of a synopsis of it. There's a country that many years ago, a dark scourge happened. I won't tell you what it is, but a dark scourge happened. And in order to stop the scourge, these dragons got together and they used a magic. I used a magic that freed the world of the scourge, but also fractured the land. And so what was once a united country of Kumandra, I believe is the name of it, is now a fractured whole and has different segments and states that cannot get along. And because of the tense nature nature of their relationships, these different different country states, they end up causing this this scourge to return. And Raya, who may or may not have taken part in this scourge coming back, finds it incumbent upon herself to go out into the world and fix it. So it's a wonderful story. What I will say about it is the the dragons that are in it are marvelously designed. They're super cool looking. And uh, I believe it's Aquafina who plays uh, the main dragon, Sisu. Uh, just wonderfully, wonderfully voice cast and wonderfully acted by Aquafina. Uh, I've also been watching Jujutsu Kaijin on HBO Max. I've only watched a couple episodes of it, but in the very first episode, it goes on to explain about demons and curses and how there are these curses that protect from lesser demons because the lesser demons come to harass the humans, but the the greater curses stop them from harassing and they draw uh, the lesser demons toward their negative energy instead. These greater curses have to be replaced from time to time because if they are not, eventually they will weaken so much that the lesser demons will be able to absorb them and then become more powerful. In an attempt to remove one of these greater curses, uh, it almost falls into the hands of a lesser demon, but a unwitting participant in this great war, he eventually, uh, well, I guess I can't say that. That would be a spoiler. He gains access to some amazing powers. And so far what I've seen, like I said, just seeing the first episode and then kind of half-assed watching the second episode, I was very distracted by something else. Uh, there are some amazing action sequences in this. I, I saw a TikTok recently where there was this one action sequence, guy firing a gun, another guy dodging the, the bullet and then dashing toward the other character. And it was like three or four seconds in total. And they said that that scene, that sequence cost more money than it did for the entire third season of the seven deadly sins. And that is not, that is not to tout how great that scene is. That is, that is to denounce how, how terrible the seven deadly sins third season is. They should have spent more, more time and more money on it. But Jujutsu Kaijin, I'm watching it. Is it Kaijin or Kaizen? Jujutsu Kaizen might be Jujutsu Kaizen. I'm watching it on HBO max. Very, very good. There's another one on HBO Max, too, that I watched a while ago called Promare, where people started just spontaneously combusting, and then they were turning into fireballs. 
and then they became like a whole different subsection of humans that could do this, that could manifest these fire type powers. But then they were really looked down on by other humans that could not because they, you know, murdered a good deal of the human population, like 3 billion people died in the great fire or something along those lines. And then it goes on to describe where they came from. And it's from the creators of uh, Gurren Lagann and Kill La Kill. And what was the other one? There was another one. That, that, that studio, I can't recall their name, but they do some amazing work. But that is all that I'm watching. That is all that I am playing. And that is it for the Culture Jack News Desk. Now, as a reminder, stay tuned for the Friday show tomorrow. On today's episode, maybe this weekend, we are in a little bit of a break right now because of WandaVision and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the gap between the two. Though we might come talk about kind of a final recap about WandaVision and maybe some behind-the-scenes stuff if we get that this week. Uh, then on Sunday, the weekend wire, and then start your start your week off right with uh, Monday Madness there on Monday. Make sure that you leave us a review in whatever streaming service that you are listening to us in. It helps us a great deal, and it lets other people know about Culture Jack. Speaking of letting other people know about Culture Jack, you can do that as well. Tell a friend. Let them know to join us on this conversation, on this ride. How to get in contact with us is easy. You can contact us on Facebook or on Twitter at Culture Jack, or you can get a hold of us in an email, culture.collective.x2 at gmail.com. Otherwise, thank you for joining us here at the Culture Jack News Desk. I am Archimedes Abigail, and that's the news, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>